Hey folks, thank you and welcome to the podcast. This is episode number one. And I am sitting here with a guy when I first got my start in the business was very informational with working with me and my clients. He would pick up the phone and have one on one conversations, answer all of my questions about finance, you know, properties even. And uh, I wanted to bring him and introduce him to, to my audience. Ronald, he's been in the financial institutions for 10 plus years. Um, I see you are like an assistant manager at UFCU. Um, You worked at a brokerage. um, And now as an entrepreneur, you have your own mortgage brokerage and a proud father of two daughters. I want (laughs) to introduce my friend and my go to lender, Ronald Tell the people your last name. <laughs> Ronald Muljari. Andre, thank you. Thanks. Thank you for yes. the kind words. Uh, yes, uh, two lovely daughters that uh, keep me up all night. And then they're not teenagers yet, even though. So that's kind of scary. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, been in the finance industry for uh, 10 plus years. Decided to finally go on my own. And mm-hmm. we decided to open up our own company, uh, being a mortgage broker. And just it's, it's exciting. Yeah, the times are great. So good, good, it's perfect, man. So um, let's let's go back a little bit. I want people to know who Ronald is. So um, outside of high school, well, first of all, where did you go to high school? James Bowie High in South Austin. Ah, I'm an Austin Knight local. <laughs> Last of one of the Mohicans here, yeah, real yeah, Austin Knight, yeah. real perfect. Austin Knight. After that, like, okay, graduate from high school. Did you say, hey, I, I want to get into finances right away? No, no. Went to University of Texas. Once mm. again, Longhorn fan. Mm. Good and bad on that. But, okay, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then after that, we actually uh, went, went to a bank one day, hmm. made, made a deposit, and they said, hey, we're hiring. And I said, okay. <laughs> so I applied, and it was actually Frost Bank, another local bank. Ah, nice. I, I love Frost Bank. And then that started my career in finance. And then after that, just went to different institutions and went to mortgage. So you walked in the bank and you were like, man, I can work around all this money. Yeah, it was really, it's like, I love money and and they're they're all friendly. And so, but they taught me a lot about finances for sure. Good, good. Tell me a little bit about March 31st for you. What what is that (laughs) That is my birthday, March 31st, 1981. I am 41 years old as Mm. this episode one. Uh, So uh, I don't, I don't know if I look it or not, but uh, 41. You, you just missed New Year's that your mom, like April Fool's. So did your mom play a trick? Like, is it really your birthday or what? (laughs) No, no. I was actually born late. I was supposed to be in the early part of March. So I'm glad I wasn't April Fool's. (laughs) Being a kid named Ronald and on April Fool's. Come on. That's that's a bully right there. All right. Good. Good. So. All right. So we talked a little bit about UT. You walked, you went into the bank. Like, what did that do for you as far as thinking about finances and money? Sure. Sure. So being at the bank, it actually helped me a few things. And what actually opened my eyes was being around technically wealthy people, people mm-hmm. making the deposit. Right. You mm-hmm. see you see all kinds of people, though, making deposits, doing withdrawals, their transactions, the way that they have their bank accounts or different types of accounts. And then, but you saw patterns, different patterns with more wealthy individuals or mm. wealthy families or higher up there, right? And so one day and a couple of days, I just talked to a few of them and said, you know, 
why why did you do this or why do you have this open mm. and they would actually share they were pretty open about it wow and so there's reasons why now when i talk to borrowers about budgeting and what they should have there's a reason because i vetted those individuals that had those higher balance accounts mm. and different types of accounts because it worked for them wow so that's giving real real financial education learning from a, a vast array of financial uh just people who have money, right? Exactly. Like on the top tier, middle tier, like seeing what the wealthy, what the rich do with their money. That's like one-on-one. You couldn't have gotten that at UT. You can't. And then now you hear it everywhere. It's okay. Let me show you how to do this. But people really, you have to pay for that education, right? Mm. And I'm going to tell you, I did all the work for those seven years at the bank or actually seven plus years at the bank. And so I'm, I'm going to share that knowledge because good. nobody else is sharing that knowledge. Right. That's perfect. That's good. That's good. Let me ask you this. Cause now I'm curious. Uh, <laughs> what was the amount that you saw someone deposit or either in their account that made you say, Holy shit. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, this is, you know, privacy. We're not going to share any names, no names, no names, protect. but, but, uh, but the, the, the balances that I saw, on a few particular accounts were in the upwards of 25 to $35 million. Mm. Not in one account, right? It was several accounts. Right. But they also had other products, lines of credit, credit cards, this and that. You don't see uh, just random stuff, but you see important stuff that they use on their daily basis. Hmm. But in turn, I'll tell you, what you see more of on the lower spectrum is installment loans, right? Mm. More loans. And so that's where the spectrum was different is what what type of accounts were they doing or having versus the others. And so that's where you saw, okay, so I need to be in this. I need to get this to be in this bracket. Like how many NSF fees have you seen? Obviously on this side, a lot on a you know, lower financial education versus the higher acumen. I mean, and, and let me get this straight. I don't think just because you're wealthy, you're smart. Correct. Or correct. I mean, there's a we're in America. You can make a little tiny object and get rich off of Correct. it. So, but did you see any NSF fees on the higher end ever? We did not. Not we did at not. all. And then right. I want to piggyback off that, Andre, is, is it's about the education. Sometimes we don't, we are not educated on that financial stuff because the banks, honestly, the banks are not there to educate. They're there to open accounts. They're there to sell you a loan, mm-hmm. but they're not there to say, hey, let me tell you about budgeting. Hey, yeah. let me tell you about this part. This is how you're going to help in your daily life because they don't make money off of that. Mm-hmm. They make money off of the NSF fees, the mm-hmm. overdraft fees. Yes. And sometimes on the account, I would see for a year, thousands of dollars of overdraft and NSF wow. fees. Thousands. Hmm. If you refund, if the bank refunds all that, I mean, can that make a mortgage payment, a car <laughs> payment or oh, two yeah. or three? Right. Yeah. But the banks don't share that. No, nah, they don't it, share It's that. actually public record. If you go to the bank's uh, websites or whatnot, they look at the financials. Mm-hmm. There's a section that says overdraft fees or NSF fees, and they, they show how much they made for the year. Wow. People don't pay attention I to that, I bet it's in the mega millions. Millions. Across institutions yeah. like a bigger, like J.P. Morgan or something yeah. like that. So they do take advantage of hmm. the uneducated. Got it. Got it. Man, so- First of all, that's good for people to have access to someone who's had that level of exposure. Um, the other thing is, let, let's talk about, oh, here's my question. Yes. Sir. So I was told and some principles that I actually try to practice is, hey, use your credit card through life, attach it to your bank account and let that bank account just automatically pay that off when it's due. 
Is that a good principle? Should people just go around and, hey, I'm going grocery shopping, use my credit card, go into the gas credit card and then just let my account know, hey, pay that off. A hundred percent. And here's why. And and I'll piggyback off that in a minute, too. But you want to use a credit card because right now companies are offering great deals. Groceries, 10, 10 times your grocery in points or cash back. That's free money, right? Mm-hmm. And then some are five points for gas, four points for dining out. Hmm. Take advantage of those. You want to take the perks of that. But what people don't do is pay off the balance in full when it's due. They make the minimum or maybe $100 of it. Mm-hmm. That's where statistically the banks take advantage or the credit card companies take advantage because they know that people's habits are not to pay it off. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you want to pay it off at when it's due. So that means don't spend what you don't have. Mm, that's the key right okay. there. That's but the use the credit cards because if you can get a free hotel, a free mm-hmm. airplane ticket, a $500 cash back at the end of the year, that's just free money for mm-hmm. doing your daily things. How many uh, accounts do you recommend a person has? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So when, when you say cash, talking about credit cards. Well, general. before even credit cards, okay. let's... Should, do you recommend people having multiple bank accounts? Yes and no. Okay. You you want to have one, of course, one bank account, right? But if you can manage your money, your finances, and take control of your money, you can have more than one because it is ideal. And 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 I and I can tell you why in that one. But at the end of the day, it's about you being able to control your money and not let the money control you. Mm. Okay. Because if you let money control you then it's just going to eat you alive. But mm. if you can control how much money is coming in, what's going out, where it's going, that's how you become financially wealthy. Mm. I personally have about seven different bank accounts. Mm-hmm. I hope uh, the banks don't know about that, but I have seven <laughs> different bank accounts. I have 22 credit cards right now. Nice. 22. Man, that's not overkill. <laughs> My credit score is still 798. Good. It's not overkill. I pay it off at the end of the month. And right now we're shooting for a free trip to actually I got a free trip to Mm -hmm. Vegas because of my credit card. Uh, I'm going to try to fly business class using my points next year Mm. and just by spending my everyday stuff. That's good, man. I'm and I've recently like, well, probably for the past five years adopted the principle of have multiple accounts. And I have an account for I got about five accounts. One just for my household expenses. Sure. So if I go to Lowe's and I need a light bulb or something, I know that this credit card is attached to that account. Sure. I have my business account, obviously, and my taxes, you know, kind of set up in separate accounts. And then I have my investment account, you know, and then my free spend account. So, like, when you do that, you kind of know, again, my key phrase for financial independence is control your money. Don't let it control you. Correct. But now here's the thing that people don't, don't don't tell you, the banks don't tell you, mm-hmm. is the reason you have multiple bank accounts. Yes, yeah, so you want financial control. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to take the money from here, there, whatever you're mm-hmm. spending, and and you watch it. But you want to open bank accounts where the bank or credit union offers personal lines of credit. Mm-hmm. So an individual um, can open a personal line of credit at any credit union or bank where they bank, and it's. Technically free unsecured money mm-hmm. that works better than a credit card and is a little cheaper on interest rate. Mm-hmm. But the kicker is the kicker is that the bank or credit union will only lend you 
the line of credit based on what you've had previously. So mm-hmm. let's just say you have one bank account at Bank A, mm-hmm. and you start and say, okay, I want to apply. Okay, you have good credit. You have a uh, uh, good income. We'll give you $5,000. Great. Then you wait a few months. You go to another bank and say, hey, I want to apply for a personal line of credit. That bank is going to pull your credit and say, oh, man, this guy has 5000 before, so he's good with that. We'll offer him 10000 mm-hmm. And then the next bank will go on and go on. Uh-huh. Nobody, unless you're... You know, Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg go in a bank and say, I want a million dollar line of credit, right? <laughs> right. It's not, not going to happen. You got it. But if you slowly build it up, different banks, and then they'll give it to you. And then in turn, you go back to the one that gave you the two or the five and they'll raise it up to 15. Now they know that, oh man, he's responsible. He's has mm. all these lines of credit. Mm. The personal line of credit is the one thing that I saw in the banking world mm-hmm. that all the affluent individuals or families had in their back pocket. Hmm. And it's nothing that the bank will ever advertise to you because it is, does not make the most money for the bank. Hmm. The bank, when you walk in there, will say checking account, bill pay, credit card, auto loan, mortgage. You'll never see personalized credit being advertised. Interesting. So hmm. there's a reason for that. They don't want to make or they don't make money. So why would they advertise something they don't make money on? Hmm. Right. Right. So you as an individual need to tap into your great credit score, great income. And that's where the personal line of credit comes in. Mm. And, he, and here talk to real estate, Andre. If I can tell you, Andre, if you build up over years of personal line of credit and say, well, Andre, I want to buy a house or you can buy a house for $300,000 cash. Well, I don't have the cash. Oh, no, no, no. You have lines of credit. They can mm. withdraw to purchase that. Now you don't need approval of a mortgage broker like myself, which sucks, but you can now buy cash when nobody else can. Now you can get a better deal because you're a cash buyer mm. versus a mortgage close faster. Right. And then people tell me, well, no, but then I can't access that cash back. Yeah, you can. You can refinance that, take the money back and pay off your line of credit. Hmm. See? Wow. And and that's stuff that nobody no. is telling you. Nobody. nobody tells you that. And I wonder why all the valuable information is so guarded. But let me ask you this. Is there like a it's in conjunction with your credit or being able to get credit or your score? Is there a connection with the banks to see how much does this person hold in their account on average? Yes and no. But usually the credit score is based on what you spend on your credit cards, right? Mm. So the bank account is mostly tied as they want to see if there's a direct deposit. So if you make deposits or you keep a high balance, Mm -hmm. then they'll lend you money, lines of credit, credit card and all that. But for companies or institutions to lend you more money, they want to see, okay, how have you been doing and do you pay off your balances on time? Mm. Or I'm sorry, if you pay your balances at all or on time or what is that, right? Okay. And so that's how they used to see, hey, give it to you. I felt like once I first, when I first got to the point where I was able to save like 50,000 in the bank, I feel like everybody just kind of <laughs> knew and was like, oh, this guy, hey, you want more of our money or whatever? Yeah, like, yeah. And a lot of it was the bankers that would, you know, were having different conversations with me before then when I was a guy that was living check to check, trying to avoid NSF fees, sure, like sure. nobody ever pulled me to the side until they saw that magic number. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So when they see that magic number, what they're trying to do, I mean, you know, what, what they what, what they want to do is how can we make money off of the 50000 for this individual? Right. Mm-hmm. And so what they're going to do is they're going to tell you, hey, 
you need to open an investment account mm-hmm. and then put that money into an investment because they make money on those investments, exactly. right? And then, but you will as well. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going to tell you, okay, you can do that or you can put a down payment on a house mm-hmm. and then that house is guaranteed, not guaranteed. I mean, you can't really say guaranteed, but statistically, mm-hmm. it appreciates about what, 8 to 10% annually, yeah. especially in Central Texas, even more than that, mm-hmm. where the stock market goes up and down, right? Mm-hmm. And so- that's where you have to decide for yourself, where do I want that money to go, right? right. You can invest in stocks and real estate or both. Okay, okay. Well, uh, and I know I keep going back to this. We haven't even talked mortgages yet, <laughs> but I want like the audience to understand this. So based on the people you see, let's do a social experiment. What do you think is the biggest issue that people have with managing their credit? Is it A, they just don't make enough money, they need to get out there and figure out how to make more, or B, they don't consciously, you know, figure out what's coming in versus what's going out. Like, what do you see is a that's a huge issue where people can start to work and correct it? Definitely be. Mm-hmm. It's consciously people, they want what everybody else has, mm-hmm. right? So uh, here's a prime example. Money is not an issue because right. I know families that make household 50000 a year household mm-hmm. and they have uh, 50000 in the bank. Mm-hmm. But people making... 250000 a year only have 10000 in the bank. What's the difference, right? It's the lifestyle. It's how they want to fit in. It's what they purchase. It's need versus want versus do I really, 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 really want that, right? Right. That, that's the biggest thing. But everybody can have it if they just control their money. Control your money. Yep. Yeah, we definitely need a one-on-one for controlling your money. <laughs> I mean, I think they need to put that in junior high. Yep. Um, and I try to teach my kids that as well. 100%. So, okay, let's talk about like your business, right? Um, you're uh, part of this show, uh, by the way, is I really like to talk to entrepreneurs. And one of the things is I like to know when was that uh, for lack of a, well, it's a good term. It's my last name. When was your key moment that you said, hey, I've been working for this company. I've been making the money. It's time to do this for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Let me see. That moment was probably when I was probably in college, actually. So my parents did have a restaurant growing up, like most typical Asian families. They have restaurants, (laughs) right? And so my parents did have one. And they've been technically my parents have been entrepreneurs for 30 plus years now. Wow. But then I went into the comfort zone of corporate America, right? The banking, the credit union world, went to a big retail mortgage company. Mm-hmm. And then I was comfortable. And then my wife also told me, is that, you know, you're too, too, too damn comfortable. Mm-hmm. I need you to, to, to go out there. Mm-hmm. And then one, one day it's just clicked. I said, yeah, um, I, I should, I should do better. Mm-hmm. And it was actually a YouTube video. Uh, I was watching Jimmy Fallon one night mm-hmm. and I was sitting there watching Jimmy Fallon on, on YouTube back when YouTube wasn't as popular. Right. Mm-hmm. And a commercial came on. It was Ty Lopez. Uh-oh. I don't know if you heard of Ty Lopez. Ty Lopez. Ty Lopez. <laughs> I mean, he has flashy cars <laughs> to read a book every day. And I was like, who is this guy? And, 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 you know, thanks to Ty Lopez, I didn't buy anything from him or anything, but uh-huh. I listened to a couple of his stuff and I was like, and it just got me motivated. Hmm. It took me a few years to 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 actually open up my own company, right? Hmm. To be get that fear out of it. But after looking at that, yeah, after looking at Ty Lopez, that you just gotta work for yourself, and then doing it, making the jump, man, it's hmm. it's it's a blessing. It's been has it been rewarding for it's you? It's definitely been rewarding. Yeah, 
100%. Same with me. I mean, I had the same thing when it was just like, hey, do a real estate full time. Um, yeah, we have brokers, but like I really set up my own enterprise and it sure. was just like, I was actually stuck like, okay, this job, like if I leave, like let them lay me off, I'll, I'll take unemployment and then I can have like a, a security <laughs> yeah. uh, blanket. But I mean, once you do it, like it's gratifying, it's satisfying, it's like it's, you know, and you know, people have that fear of failure, but if you've been in an organization or seen a system or have a knowledge of something like it's really tough to fail or fail completely to sure. zero flat on your ass. So sure, sure. Mm-hmm. But don't get me wrong. I mean, my wife works at a corporate company, right? Mm-hmm. And she's been doing it for years too. She loves it. Some people can't, uh, you know, go out there and sell or something, right? Yeah. They don't have something to sell. It's not, sometimes it's not built in or they don't have something to invent or whatnot. Yeah. But we do need, you know, people that are actually working in, in corporate America yeah. because I can't build a computer, right? Exactly. I'm, I'm not tech support. <laughs> um, so I, I can't work at Facebook because I don't know yeah, anything yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think everybody should. You know, we have this thing now that everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, run their own business. Like sometimes I, I used to tell people, I used to enroll people into college. So I was like, hey, if you're passionate about flipping burgers, Go work at McDonald's and maybe five years you'll have your own chain and then you'll have another like success can come no matter where the start is. Or if you want to work somewhere and have that security and and be able to retire and do what you saw, like maybe generations before you've done, like find a good job, do your best at that place, you know, become the best. And so that's my thing. Like, you know, not everyone wants to be an entrepreneur not everyone should even try you know sometimes you feel that way but at the end of the day if you do something like me and you are passionate about working with people so i think regardless if we flip-flopped industries or whatever being passionate about helping people is what drove us sure sure Um, so what i think is what people forget is what are they working for right Mm -hmm. so me and you were working for a family and Mm -hmm. and and in our future but in a corporate world, you can do that as well. Yeah. But the only difference is that you're limited on how much money or, or what your income is for a certain amount of time. Where us, we're entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. we can make a little bit more or or get taxed less or whatever. Yeah. But man, at the end of the day, there there's a few things that you can do, even if you're working as a in corporation or self-employed, is to be wealthy and to retire is real estate, right? Mm-hmm. They said that the few things that can get you wealthy in America is stocks or real right. estate. If you're not doing any of those two, then yes, you're working an eight to five job and you have yeah. no future. Right, exactly. <laughs> now I want to bring you to the segment that we have called Confessions of an Austin Agent. So in Confessions, I'm going to leave out like specifics about the characters so no one gets offended or upset. However... I do have a story to tell. Um, as an agent, there's been a lot of crazy things. Um, there was one time I had a lady and we were looking for properties in the eastern part of Austin. And as we went through houses, we went through this one home and I can tell they just made breakfast smelling amazing, but they didn't really speak English. Um, so somehow I got them to let us walk through the house. You know, the house was supposed to be vacant, but the whole family was there. And so we walked through the house quickly because this was a little odd. Like the family just sat and had breakfast, but we're walking around and we go outside. We see this large shed. Um, we look around. Wow, this is a huge shed. I wonder what they keep in it. 
And when we opened the door, there was four beds and four guys stood up like, oh. So, yeah, needless to say, we hurry up and left that one. I, I swore that I may have just saw a crime, but that was one of the crazy stories that I had as an agent. If you're not, if you want to say, hey, I'll just rent for another 10 years, good luck with good that. Good luck with that. Because guess what? In 10 years, if you have a property and you have a, a kid that's 11, like that 10 years, eight years can be equity that could pay for that kid's exactly. college. Exactly. You can't get that time back. <laughs> you can't get it back. Not at all. So let's talk a little bit about mortgages, right? Like, so we'll, we'll ask a few layman's terms. <laughs> sure. Like there's a lot of people out there, first time home buyers, like hearing what's going on in the news. So here's a question you probably get the most and I'll ask it. What are the interest rates right now? Right now, the average interest rate is around 6.25 today. 6.25. Okay. 12 to 2022. Don't call me, you know, like don't check it a year yeah, from yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> 12 to 2022. Right. And, and. I mean, I hate to sound like the old guy, but like, I think in the early 2000s, I bought my first house for six and a quarter interest rate. Which is so, hey, not bad. Not too bad. Historically, we're still on average. This is the historical numbers, right? Mm -hmm. The reason, and this is just my opinion, but a big reason why the rates were down so historically low before mm -hmm. is because we we're going through a pandemic. How does a government build up or stimulate the economy so that people are not afraid or not thinking about a deadly disease that is killing people, <laughs> yeah. right? People were stuck in their homes. What were they doing? Mm -hmm. So there, something to stimulate the economy is reduced on the rates. Rates mm -hmm. when you borrow money, you get your credit card, car loan, personal loans, they were lower. Right. But that also trickled down to mortgages. Mm -hmm. So if you bought a house, what are you going to do? You bought a house that stimulated the economy because, you know, construction was up or whatnot, help that. And then after that, you would buy new furniture, mm -hmm. you buy new TV, new right. appliances, new clothing, right? right? And so that also stimulates the economy. Mm. But now we're back to okay times. Right. And the banks now want their money back, yeah, right? So yeah. they got to make money. Yeah, <laughs> banks yeah. got to make money. <laughs> so that's why the rates are the rates. Got it, got it. So we have the rates of where they are. And uh, so what is a standard credit score? Like if I wanted to buy a house, walk me through it. It's my first time. What does my credit score need to be? Depending on the loan program, mm. but there's programs out there at 580 or above, 620 or above, 720 or above. Okay. What the credit score, what the credit score really uh, determines for an individual is basically their interest rate. Okay. So if you had a house or I'm sorry, if you're purchasing and you had a 680 credit score and somebody else was doing the same loan scenario, but their credit score was 780, mm -hmm. the interest rate would be better for the 780. Right. Of course, right. But the qualifications most likely going to be the same, mm -hmm. you know? So it, it, what you want to get is the best rate possible based on the best loan scenario for that individual. Okay. Okay. And I know, I know the answers to these questions. So I feel funny asking you, but I think every year I, I ask the same questions over and over just to make sure like nothing's changed from sure. prior. So what is the, I mean, the minimum amount, I'm not military. What is the minimum amount that I can use to put down to buy my first home? For a conventional loan is 3%. Nice. So you can do, you can purchase a house at 3% down. The next one is three and a half, an FHA government loan. Mm -hmm. Now, we're in Central Texas, right? Central Austin, and there's no USDA loans out there. 
Yeah, here. <laughs> it's all built up. No, c- you got to go you out go pretty far, far. right? <laughs> if you want to drive an hour away, sure. There's right. USDA where there's zero down payment. Right? Okay. So if you have some money saved up, you know, versus renting or buying a house and you have money saved up, man, it's it's a long term investment. That's what mm. you got to treat it as. I feel like, um, like you can put down 50%, you can put down as much as you want, but I feel like the lower amount that you can put down, then there's more control over that loan. Like there's more, it's PMI, it's this, and you can't sure. pay us off for early. Like there's more restrictions. Uh, yes and no. Okay. So okay. there's a debate on that. Right. And uh-huh. once again, whatever I say is my personal opinion okay. and, and I can sh- tell, and I'm not afraid to share my financials. Uh, my wife knows I share with all of my borrowers. I don't care. If you want to know about my financials, I'll tell you everything I I, I hope I do. so, man. I don't want your wife coming to look after no. for me and say, hey, you have my husband up there. He must have been drunk. I am an open <laughs> book because I lived it all, right? Okay. So if if somebody tells me, Ronald, I want to I wanna buy a house. I say, great. So they say, I want to put 20% down. I say, why? Hmm. Well, because I don't want to pay mortgage insurance. Why? I said, because that's just waste of money. Okay, okay. And I, and I asked him, what do you want to do in five years? Well, I probably want to own another piece of real estate. Okay, why five years? Because, you know, it's going to take me a while to get down payment again. Okay, so what if I told you, you put 5% down on your new home. Mm-hmm. Yes, you pay mortgage insurance, but your credit score is pretty great. So your mortgage insurance may only be 50 bucks, depending on the loan amount, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a number. And so, but now... You don't have to wait five years to buy your investment property. You may only have to wait two years. Hmm. So now you use that money to buy an investment property in two years, where now you save that three years of appreciation time and only wasted, what, 50 bucks a month times mm-hmm. five years? That's what, $6,000? I don't know. Damn, it's right? small. Like, so, I, I, so just to make sure we get it right, you're saying, hey- why leverage all your capital in one house or a majority of it when you, you're already financing a loan? Okay, yeah, you have PMI, but would you rather pay 150 a month on PMI or have another 15K still in your bank? Exactly. Ready for another purchase. Ready for another purchase. Because people say, well, I want to start investing, right? They don't think about investing until they purchase their first house. That's, right. the mis- that's, that's, that's wrong. You should think about what do I want to do in the next 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. And so if I, my goal is to own property, then how do I get to maximize the amount of property I get within that 10 years? Mm-hmm. You put all your eggs in one basket in your first house, that's not maximizing, right? Right. You could, I could tell you, you spend 3% down on a small house at $200,000 and six months later you do 5% down on a 250 and then six months later you do 5% down on a 300 and then so on and so forth. Right. You could have 10 houses in 10 years hmm. instead of maybe only two or three in that same span, right? Right. Because it's harder. And I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to say 20% down yeah, to buy big. an investment, right? That's yeah. a big amount. That's a big amount. But 5% is not bad. Yeah. Now, I mean, I do tell people this. Like, if if you're an investor right now and you want to get a long-term property and you say, hey, Andre, I want to put 20% down like with six and a half or seven percent interest rate sure. like what can i do to make money right away like i want income right away and i'm going to tell them with 20 percent down you're probably going to be feeding that investment vehicle but hey it's just like hey where can you put your 20 percent down feed it and have it grow and also get like you know work towards getting that dividend that uh cash flow monthly 
Um, if you want an immediate cash flow, like I looked at the numbers, you have to put at least 50 percent. Exactly. So um, why? But why do that? And that's once again, the misconception, because everybody listens to everybody else. Right. Yeah, it's like, well, I got yeah. cash flow and I'm making cash flow. But you got to understand. When did that individual buy the house? Was yeah. it when the Austin prices were at two hundred thousand dollars? Exactly. Right. So what your long term goal is is if you lose a hundred or two hundred dollars a month, mm-hmm. but the house appreciates tenfold or whatever right. amount over five years, ten years, that's gonna wipe out that hundred two hundred dollar loss. Yeah. Because also that loss, it can be a, a write off. I'm not CPA, but you can ask your accountant. Hey, mm-hmm. can I write this loss off? Yeah. There you go. Right. So. <laughs> People, people tell me I want to make a hundred dollar cash flow. Man, an AC breaks, you're going to lose that hundred dollar cash flow anyways. Yeah, exactly. So you got to right. get that mindset off. Is investors, so grab the asset. Grab the asset because true real estate investors, they don't care about rate payment, all that. They care about how much money is this a good deal? How much money am I going to make over the long haul? Mm-hmm. Because this is an investment. Right. That's why hard money lenders are out there, and they're doing great. Non-qualified uh, mortgages, non-traditional loans are out there doing self-employed PNL loans, mm-hmm. not doing traditional high rates. They're doing great right now. Why? Mm-hmm. Because true real estate investors don't look at rate. They look at what is the long-term benefit for me? Am I going to make money? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That's what they look mm-hmm. at. So. Yep. Yep. I like that. I like that. Um, let's see. Let me look. Let me look here really quick. <laughs> I, I I get questions all the time, and so I'm just trying to put them in perspective. But um, let's say we talked about what kind of credit score you need. We talked about down payments, um, and all of that is subjective to your goals. Like you definitely have to have a conversation with a, a mortgage broker. What, what's the difference between a mortgage broker, a loan broker, and just going directly to your bank? Sure, sure. So I get that question out asked a lot. The biggest difference is that when you go to your own one retail bank, it's one rate, mm-hmm. one loan scenario, one situation, one company. Right. But then do they have the best rate? Maybe not. Maybe they do, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Or their underwriting guidelines are stricter than most or whatnot. You don't know that. Mm-hmm. Whereas a mortgage broker, I we are a good faith mortgage. We actually work with 20 over 20 different lenders. Mm -hmm. And so maybe one day, one lender is offering uh, the best rate because they want to steal the market that day. Mm -hmm. And so they offering the best rate, boom, you take advantage of that. And I want when I'm talking best rate, I'm talking best rate in the nation, Mm -hmm. right? And so we get to help the borrower get the possible rate based on their loan situation at that time. Mm -hmm. And so we're not just limited to just that one retail company. Got it. Got it. So you can shop that around and find it around. That's good. And that's the American way. Like shop it around. See if you go buy a car, you know, some people may go to the first place, but some people may Google it. Look, hey, what's the best place to get the same vehicle? Like who's going to give me the best price, the best rate? But you could do that for them as opposed to just going to one bank. And actually it takes about, what, 10 minutes of my time where you can. But then you would have to apply at this bank and this bank. Get pull credit here, pull credit here, pull credit here. And then you may not get the best rate there, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's where we... Let's talk about that other part, pool credit here. Pool. That's the <laughs> one of the other like stalls or drawbacks sure, sure. I get. Like, oh, is he going to pull my credit? And I've I worked hard to get like a 690. I don't want anybody to pull my credit. Sure. Like, what's wrong with that way of thinking? So one, it's it's been embedded to us, right? Mm-hmm. And 
and once again, this is my opinion, but it was embedded to us because we didn't want competition. So I'm going to tell you back in the day, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and say, Andre, mm-hmm. want to put your credit, don't go shopping around, your credit's going to go low. Right. Why? Because maybe my rage sucked. <laughs> and so I don't want you to go shopping me. So I'm right. going to tell you, Andre, don't do that. Right. Mm-hmm. But pulling credit within the first 30 days, it's not a big deal. You can have mm-hmm. multiple because you want to shop around. Right. Right. That's where I decided to go to a mortgage broker because your credit, I pull only once, but I get to look at other banks and investors to see who has offer rates. Right. So I don't have to pull your credit 20 times. So mm-hmm. that's the advantage right there. But getting your credit pulled when doing a mortgage, definitely is, it's not a, it's not a bad thing. Now, when you get a credit card or car loan, that's mm-hmm. kind of different. Now they're pulling your credit maybe uh, 20 times, 25 times on a car loan trying to get you approved. So that does ding you more. Right. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But mortgages, not as much. What's the biggest ding you can get? Like, okay, you get a hard pull and you pull it 30 days <laughs> and then another 30 days you have somebody else pull it. Like, what? what's the worst case well, scenario? So the so that's going to vary on the situation. Like for me, for example, I'll, I'll use me as an example. <clears throat> I have, uh, I don't know, I have a lot of lines of credit. I really do. Uh, I, I could share that in another podcast. But lots Just of, share some of that credit, man. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go out I to will. lunch next. <laughs> <laughs> so I will tell you this, okay? I th- This is a must. This is one of my goals that I wanted to reach uh, probably 10 years ago. And I finally reached it after mm-hmm. nine years, okay? Okay. So my goal back then, I said, okay, after I... Listen to Ty Lopez. I said that my goal is trying to get lines of credit and much credit as I can get. And so after a few weeks, a few weeks ago, I hit the one million dollar line of credit mark. Wow, that's nice. So with all my credit cards and my lines of credit, I have over a million dollars. So that mm. means that if I wanted to buy five houses at two hundred thousand, right. I could buy five hundred thousand cash right yeah. now. Right? Yeah. It didn't happen overnight. It takes time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm saying it's it's when the credit. I know people are sensitive about their credit. But what I want to ask them is, okay, if you have good credit, then what is it for if you don't use it? Yeah. So it's funny is people have great credit. It's, oh, I don't want you ding it. I don't want to apply for it. I don't want to use it. Then what's the point of having good yeah. credit? What you work for? What do you work for <laughs> then, right? So people yes. with bad credit, well, they want to use it. Well, we we know you you can't use you know yeah. that's that's the that's the <laughs> they want to use it and bail on yeah. it <laughs> so i ran up a twenty thousand dollar credit card and didn't pay you yeah. fool now you gotta pay somehow pay that. <laughs> but i tell people if you have good credit if you don't use good credit then it's just a waste it's a waste it's a waste of <laughs> something that, that that is given to you you build up to a 700 credit score 800 credit score and you don't want anybody to pull it like how can you utilize yeah. it so it, it surprises me that people have 800 credit score and they have one auto loan and one credit card and that's it i'm like well, well i don't need anything i know you don't need anything but if i can offer you a free hotel ticket or a free a vacation for a week just by you spending daily stuff why not yeah they don't yeah. realize that. people's psychology behind money is a little you know, however it's formed, however, it's formed. But yeah, yeah, yeah. some people got to stand at comfort. I want to take advantage of my 798 credit score. I get it. I mean, that's a benefit right there. If you you work hard to get it, utilize it. Yeah. Just use it responsibly. Knock like, on wood, though. I still yeah. have it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, um, I wanted to kind of circle back to a home buyer, right? Sure. So we talked about the down payment. We talked about credit score. Uh, we even talked a little bit about investments. 
Um, let's talk about some terms. APR, like that's one of those terms that, hey, the interest rate is six and a quarter, but the APR is blah, blah, blah. Like, what is so that? So the annual percentage rate. So something back in the government the, the, the mm-hmm. made this up, right? Not made it up, but they said, okay, we have to disclose to the bar and confuse them even more <laughs> that what they're paying on a annual percentage rate basis, meaning Okay, if your note rate is 5%, mm-hmm. it is 5% for a 30 years fix, right. if it is. But what the government wants you to know is, what are you paying for the first year, that annual percentage rate year, in finance charges? Meaning, is there any interest that you're paying for the first year that is aside from the 5%? Is there any fees, lender fees? Uh, it could be the title fees. Any fees that the government says, this is your finance charges. Hmm. So that number increases that APR above the note rate. You can never go below the note rate because you're mm-hmm. paying 5% interest. So right. that's interest as part of the APR. But then any other charges that's considered finance for the first year. So if you bought uh, b- bought down the rate, yeah. uh, buy down rate, if you pay right. 1% of the buy down rate, now that's calculated into your interest, it raises the APR. Look, can you, besides buying down a rate or doing anything, like, can you control what your APR is? By just like, chopping your mortgage broker. No, just chopping. Yeah, yeah, because the APR, once again, they're determining the fees. So yeah. if one broker, retail institutions, their lender fees are 2500 but the other mm-hmm. one is 1000 that's controlling your APR. Man, that APR formula you just named is, it just sound like you took me through some high level algebra. So <laughs> all I know is that, hey, if I can make a lower, try to make a lower. If not, like, just don't worry about it. Just it, get the property. At, at the end of the day, the government <laughs> said, we need to educate our borrowers to show how much they're truly paying. But what it really did is confuse them with just rum numbers and random me. numbers. I'm also confused by PMI. Like, what is that for? Private mortgage insurance. It's the way, okay, so private mortgage insurance is, is big money out there too. If I had mine, I'd be a private mortgage insurance company, I'll be honest. But so it it actually protects the lender mm-hmm. from default in case you do default. That's all it is. It's just insurance on the loan. That's okay. truly, okay. You're, you're paying interest on the loan telling the lender, hey, my credit score is this. I don't have 20% down. I'll pay for it. And if, and if I foreclose, you get most of your money back. Mm. That's it. And see, that was my thing. Like, I, it sounds like to me, private mortgage insurance is Freddie or Fannie or the, whoever the banks are to you pay them insurance to protect their investment in you. But if you foreclose, it's not like that insurance just pays them a policy and pays off your mortgage. No, it's going you and they can still <laughs> yeah. come after you for whatever they want. Man, that's a straight hustle. Yeah. I'll let, you. Hey, but, you got a million dollars in credit. I got a nice amount. Let's, <laughs> let's get go. a PMI. Let's, let's see go. how we can set let's that see. up. <laughs> now, but but the thing about it is PMI is not a bad thing, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. a good thing and bad thing. But if you have, once again, great credit, mm-hmm. because your PMI is based on your credit score, Debt to income, loan scenario, and all that. Right. I seen PMI at five percent down as low as forty dollars a month. So forty dollars mm. times twelve, mm. you know, yeah, less than five hundred times yeah, ten years. That's nothing. I mean, yeah. That's nothing. Once again, what is good credit for? It's like I want to put twenty percent down. Why? Yeah. Why that fifteen percent? Even if you put in the stock market, can grow for the next ten years. So if I want to get an investment property, though, like what's the minimum amount? Unfortunately, twenty percent okay. is the minimum because. The mortgage insurance companies, they don't want to insure if it's an investment property. Oh, God. Because the statistically, if it's an investment property, 
you're more likely to just let it go as opposed to your primary home if something yeah. were to happen to oh, you. So it's a bigger risk. It's a bigger, so 100% bigger it, risk. Got it, got it. So, what now, if you have like three of them already? Like, is there any way they can say, hey, this guy has... No. Nah, never. They, they, they treated it. that break. That's God why... Damn, banks. <laughs> hey, banks control the world yeah. until, we, until we know that. So <laughs> Be careful. Don't go any further than banks control oh, yeah. the world. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. We a don't want to say... A lot of people no. have been in trouble. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Let's, that, let's so. not do that. We don't want to <laughs> shut down after episode one. <laughs> right. But, uh, but yeah, so if you just control your money, that's why... People want to invest in, in property, right? But so instead of putting down 20, just put the minimum and then you could keep buying a new primary home, hmm. primary home, right? Because you're big, buying a bigger house or bigger bedrooms or whatever. Right. And just put the minimum as your primary home and hmm. build real estate that way. Don't work the backwards way of putting down 20% and then save another, another 20%. Because yeah. how long will you take to save that money? Yeah. For me, it's going to take me... I don't know how long, right? Yeah, you got to know yourself. You I got two know. girls. Whew, yeah. Not even teenagers. <laughs> yeah, man. The teenage years are coming. <laughs> but hey, man, um, if people are more interested in like finding out about home mortgages, do they qualify? If they even have more questions than I asked you today, tell them where they can find you at. Sure. It's a www.goodfaithmortgageswithanest.com. Goodfaithmortgages.com. Good faith mortgages and faith in the people we trust. <laughs> yeah. I like that, man. Uh, one last thing. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with people um, if they're thinking about buying or if they just want to put together a budget? Like, what would you tell a person out here that can help them financially? Sure. Don't be afraid. Talk mm. to a mortgage professional. Talk to a real estate professional. The We're not going to sell you a, a house right now, but if you want to just see where you stand, just talk to a professional and see it. Get educated, but make sure that mortgage professional does educate you, mm-hmm. right? Or that real estate professional educates you because at the end of the day, uh, we want you to help you long-term and, and build wealth long-term. Mm-hmm. That, and that's, that's my goal. I mean, that's I don't know goal. if that's your, your goal. That's my goal. I mean, and I get it. I, I never want to have anybody feel like they're being pushed. No. But there's that one example, and here's my analogy. When I first learned how to swim, and I'm probably still not the greatest, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> the guy gave me instructions, right? Telling me, hey, this is what you do. You go in the water. Like, I'm here for you. And he just came behind me and shoved me in the water. <laughs> like, and I was already close, but it was that little nudge. And so when I got in the water, I went crazy. I'm splashing. Help, I'm drowning. And when I finally came up and could see the guy, he had the stick out there. I grabbed the stick and he just pulled me back in. And and that right there was a perfect analogy for me when I'm helping people. Some people need a little nudge, sure, sure. but you have to be able to let them know that when you feel like you need support, I'm going to be there. I'm right. not going to push you out there and let you fend for yourself. I'm going to help you. I'm going to make sure you're calm and bring you back in so that, you know, you can get what you desired in sure. the first place. 100%. Yeah, so good, good. Well, hey, y'all, I, I appreciate everybody for coming to the show. Show number one um, here, and uh, I appreciate my guests, and I, I thank the guys in the studio. Uh, let's keep it going, and that's a wrap.